Hello, I'm Mark Petruzzi, host of Selling the Cloud podcast. And I'm Ray Reich, your co-host of the show. We talk to a wide variety of cloud and SaaS industry thought leaders and revenue generation experts who share their unique insight into what is required to build and grow a great business in the cloud. Now on to today's show. Welcome to today's episode of Selling the Cloud podcast. I'm your host, Ray Reich, and I'm joined by my co-host, Mark Petruzzi. And today we are happy to have Scott Lease, multiple time early stage SaaS VP of sales and author of the new best-selling book on Amazon, More Than a Number, the Modern VP of Sales Playbook. And today with Scott, we're going to be talking about three main topics, his motivation for writing this book for VPs of sales the core common traits of successful BPs of sales, and relationships, why they matter, and how to make them work. Scott, please take a moment to give a brief background overview of your journey to becoming a guest on the Selling the Cloud podcast. Well, thank you both for having me. First of all, it's great to see you again, Ray, and nice to meet you, Mark. Like you said, Ray, I've been uh, more or less building and scaling sales orgs in, in tech and SaaS for the better part of the last 20 years or so. I was a sales leader six times, five times as a VP of sales. And my specialty was sort of going from zero to 20, 25 million or so. I, I really liked that phase after the first time that I did it. And I just kind of stayed with it and started building a consulting business and practice while I was still an operator. And a year and a half ago or so, uh, cut the W-2 cord and, and went full time. So I run my own consulting business now. I also run a couple other businesses. One is called Surfing Sales. Uh, another one is called Thursday Night Sales. And More Than a Number is actually my third book. A few years ago, I wrote a book called Addicted to the Process. And then in January, I released a book called From Rep to Manager. So More Than a Number is sort of like concluding the trilogy, if you will. First book was kind of about how to get into sales, you know, mindset, how to be a good rep, follow the process kind of thing. The second book was about how to make that transition from sales rep into sales management. And this book, More Than a Number, is about how to be a good VP of sales. And I, I kind of wanted to tell you know, some of the good, the bad, and the, the ugly about the life of a VP of sales. I think there's a lot of things people assume, and you know, sometimes they're not true. And there's a lot of things people take for granted. And you know, there's not a lot of literature out there about how to become a VP of sales, how to be a good one, what to look out for. And you know, there's been kind of this theme with the way that I write books. I, I, sort of, I try to identify an underrepresented topic or market or role and you know, kind of lean into that a little bit of the story. And you know me, I'm not big on fluff. So I try to get in and out in about a hundred pages or so. And you know, it's good for one quick plane flight, you know, a couple hours and should be done. So well, I will yeah. tell you for our that's, viewing that's, audience, that's where it came from. This is the book. You can see it is a very approachable and easy read, less than a hundred pages. But you said something that really intrigued me. You said it's the trilogy of your books for yeah. sales professionals. So when I think of trilogy, yeah. I have to ask, are you Yoda, Obi-Wan, or Luke Skywalker? <laughs> That's a good question. I don't know if I'm qualified to answer that. I feel like somebody else should answer that for me. Which one do I identify with the most? I think I identify the most with Yoda probably, you know? A little more behind the scenes, a little more mysterious. It's kind of old, <laughs> beat up, but hopefully uh, wise and, and helpful and a good mentor and a good teacher. Mm. Do or do not. There is no try. 
Okay, there's my best Yoda. <laughs> now, if I haven't lost too many Not members bad. of our audience, we'll go into the first question, Scott. And the way we do this with Mark and I, I'm going to ask you a question. You're going to give us pearls of wisdom, and then Mark is going to follow up on that. So the first question I yeah. have is more than a number. Interesting title. What was your primary motivation for writing a book entitled More Than a Number? You know, just trying to remind folks, including those in the role, that we are more than our productivity. We are worth more than our ability to hit a target and hit a quota. You know, we're people too. We go through, you know, relationship challenges, health challenges, life challenges like everybody else. And it's a little bit of a uh, tongue-in-cheek or not-so-tongue-in-cheek kind of backlash on my part as, as I watch the profession whittle away. And, you know, so many people who've done it before leave the profession because it's a brutal role. It's uh, fairly thankless and you've got a 16 to 18 month kind of life expectancy. And then you're either fired or you're topped off by somebody who's, you know, been there, done that more than, than you have. And the stress and pressures and psychological, you know, kind of battering that we take in that particular role can leave you feeling pretty shitty sometimes, you know? And so it's just me sort of saying to myself and everybody else, like, you know, our, our self-worth doesn't need to be measured by our productivity. It should be more than that. So that's what it's all about. We're more than, you know, our ability to hit quota. So Scott, I, I love hearing you describe it this way and, and you're brave to describe it this way as well. And it ties to something I've experienced in my career, whether I was running a company or a team, a division within a company. You know, there were many times that my top performing VP, I knew numbers wise, I knew unequivocally was not my top performing VP from a performance perspective. And we all know how territories, luck of the draw, you know, catching a little bit of a wave, all of this impacts this. So I, you know, I think just putting that point that as well, another counter view of your book's title is it's really just not about the numbers. I mean, people would like to make it about that. You know, yeah. it, sales <laughs> is very quantifiable. But my point of view, and, you know, I go deeply in this into selling the cloud, is sales is a lot more qualitative than people will typically allow it to be. So what's your point of view on that? Do you agree? And have you seen some of the same things I have over my career? Oh, I'm with you 100%. 100%. I do think that, that that dynamic or that philosophy is changing a little bit, and, and it's moving towards the way that we think, Mark. There's a lot more conversations, for example, now about you know mental health in the yeah. field and, and profession and things like that. There's a lot more strategically, it's a lot less about the volume and just kind of banging out phone calls and, and emails and phone numbers and more about, you know, relevance and personalization. And you hear phrases like that, you know, kind of come along. So I think that we are from reps all the way up to VPs, like we're starting to, I hope at least we're starting to take into consideration more an account of like what's going on with this person and better people sell better. The people who are in a better space perform better and people who are, you know, more well-rounded have better kind of support engagement with their boss or their organization contribute in all sorts of different places. And, you know, let's say Ray and I are your VPs, Mark, and, you know, Ray's team does 110% to goal, but he's kind of selfish and just worrying about, you know, his own number. And I'm over here and I get 95% to goal, but 
I'm working on five, six other different projects for you. And I'm leading the charge on recruiting. And like, I'm the go-to person when all the reps have problems, like who's the more valuable employee? Hypothetically speaking, of course. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Hypothetically is right. Or realistically, Ray, or realistically, you would be the guy that did 110% and I would be the guy that did 95 maybe, you know, but I think the conversation is happening. Let's put it that way. Whereas I don't, you know, when I was first getting started, there was no conversation. There was no consideration for Scott, his feelings, his family, what's going on. It was hit your fucking number, you know, email you at 11 o'clock at night. Hey, I need this board presentation ready by 7 a.m. I'm going, oh, I guess I have to be up all night. This is great. Thanks for the warning. That type of behavior, I don't think is being tolerated as much and it's starting to be shamed a little bit. And I think hopefully that helps those in the VP of sales, sales role. So I'm with you, Mark. Same page. Let me double click on that a little bit, Scott, because you started this conversation with the average tenure of a VP of sales is 16 to 18 months. And that's, We've been talking about that for years now. So now we have this first time VP of sales and she or he's coming into this role. They know that they're going to be evaluated by the numbers. How do you actually, what kind of advice do you provide to a first time VP of sales and say, yeah, you've got to hit your number, but there's a lot more to it. How do you prepare them for that balance of hit your numbers, drive forward, but don't let that impact your mental health and confidence? Yeah. Well, that's certainly part of the impetus, or if if not all the impetus for why I wrote the book, to try to provide a light framework without going into a million details and specifics for what somebody should do. So, you know, I start with figuring out your product and your industry. So that kind of just knowledge of of what the hell we're going to be selling and who we're selling it to, understand your buyers and your ideal customer profile and all that kind of thing. Then we work on some of the messaging, right? Cold call pitch, email, you know, cadences and scripts, that kind of thing marketing collateral. What are we saying? Okay. How are we getting people's attention? You're going to run into questions, you know, objections. How are we going to handle those? How would I present this particular product that Ray has created? You know, which parts of it do I show? Which parts of it do I hold back and wait for somebody to ask me about? I build out a competitive landscape. So there's all of these things that I would kind of tell a first time VP of sales, you need to build out playbook. And these things all go in your playbook. And this is dirty work, it's boring work, it's very unsexy, and it's the type of work that if you're not careful, you can get steamrolled by your boss who's demanding immediate results, and you don't put the time and energy into it early on. And what can happen is you just kind of run around like a chicken with his head cut off. You're able to produce a little bit of revenue. You could get to a million, two million in ARR even this way, just kind of randomly cobbling things together and making it happen, but now you're stuck you can't scale, you can't teach a bunch of kids this random process who are just coming into the company, new hires, because you never put it on paper. So that's my number one piece of advice to them is like, get everything out of your head, try to codify it, to use a fancy kind of tech word, turn it into a playbook, turn it into a process that can be replicated, iterate on it, you know, start executing it, tweak it, change it, figure out what's working, what's not working, right? That's where somebody, I think, needs to begin when they're moving into this role. Then they need to, you know, move into knowing how to motivate, how to lead, how to hire, how to coach the people, what kind of tools might be required to help get there. So, you know, that's more of the traditional sales coaching, sales hiring type of stuff, managing the right 
you know, metrics and KPIs. And the last thing is, is the relationships involved, probably and primarily with the person who hired you, which is probably the CEO and the founder. And managing that dynamic is critical, you know, having the right expectations, right? So for example, I would never take a role as a VP of sales if I could tell I wasn't going to have a dialogue about what our sales goals are. They're just going to be handed to me. I would never take a role as a VP of sales without explicitly saying my very first hire needs to be a head of sales ops, a head of revenue ops. And we've talked about this before, you and I, Ray, how big I am on the importance of this. That's my co-pilot. I'm not taking the fucking job unless somebody agrees that that's the first hire that I can make. I would rather hire that person than hire a couple reps. I would rather be the one making the calls myself, hire that rev ops person to help me figure out how we're going to build out this org, right? If you can't have that conversation and get that kind of alignment with the CEO, with the boss, it's going to be difficult. It's going to be very difficult. You're going to feel pressed and they're going to want immediate kind of results. And you have to push back on that a little bit. You know, I can remember specifically being hired a couple of jobs back in the interview process. I told the CEO, your numbers are going to go down or hold flat for 90 days for sure. Cause that's how long I need to kind of evaluate this thing, retool things, start over. And then I can start to get some traction. And you know, the founder was like, all right, I understand. I get it. If I didn't have that, if I took that role without having that conversation and the numbers go down a little bit, that first time VP of sales could start to panic and that founder could start to apply even more pressure. And now you're in a mad scramble to save your life. So those are the three things that I would focus on as a brand new VP of sales. And if I could add a fourth, Ray, and then I'll shut up. If I could add a fourth, I think everybody who's moving into this role for the first time needs support, not just inside internal support, but external support, whether that is just in communities, LinkedIn might be the community. It could be Thursday night sales, my community. It could be pavilion. It could be rev genius, whatever it is, modern sales pros. You got to have somebody to talk to about these kind of things, to bounce ideas off of, make sure you're doing things right. Hold you accountable a little bit, serve as a guardrail a little bit. And if those aren't enough, you know, that's where advisors come in. That's where, you know, private coaching comes in. I never had that stuff. I sure as hell would have liked to have it. I try to serve in that capacity a little bit now because I'm, I'm very kind of passionate about helping new VPs succeed. So three plus a bonus one for you. There's a lot to unpack there, Mark. Why don't you take something and maybe dig into it a little bit for us? Yeah, I think in general, where I'd like to go here is just more... Back to Scott and your positioning in the book about, you know, delegation as one item, being a critical skill for a successful VP of sales. And I will tell you, having been, you know, a board member, having been in the C-level role, that's something I, you know, I would think about looking for strong delegation skills in my next VP of sales from an outside perspective. However, uh, you know, from bumps and bruises along the way, I have learned how that little bit of extra strategic point of view in your hiring, you know, helps with the execution in so many ways. So from that perspective, let's dive in a little deeper to, you know, what is your point of view on that? And then how do you delegate when, as you put it, your neck is on the line, your reputation is on the line, you're out there, you know, responsible for that number. And if you're delegating a lot, you're not in a position to make sure that those numbers come in. Well, I disagree with that, actually. Good. Um, if I have picked the right people to bring into my organization to hand things off to, 
they will make me look smart and they will help me hit my number. The problem people run into is just being a control freak and yeah. trying to hang on and bottleneck everything and nothing gets done without me touching it. I'm the only one. And I've worked for people like that, the CEO role and a VP role. I just don't operate that particular way. I feel like I hire well and I put a lot of trust in those people that I hire. And part of my job, you know, my neck is on the line. Yeah, well, I'm gonna delegate this thing off to Ray because you know what? Ray is better at the building of reports and using Salesforce and all this kind of stuff. That's not my skill set. I could go dive in and figure that out, but why the fuck do I wanna do that? My skill set is coaching these reps. I'd rather go do seven one-on-ones today while Ray builds this stuff for me because he's my RevOps guy. That's a better use of our time. We get through all this thing faster. And you know, the board and, and CEOs and founders, they want to think like, oh, I hired you, Scott, I'm paying you this big salary. You should be able to do everything. No. Hmm. Who says I should be able to do everything? Nobody told you that as a CEO that you're supposed to do everything. What's the number one trait of, of a founder and a CEO? You recruit, you stay in your lane, you do the things you're great at, and you pawn shop everything else off to people who are better than you at these other disciplines and roles. This is just a microcosm of that. It's a smaller component. And as you build and scale, you have to do more of that. Am I the best coach and trainer in my organization at scale? Yes. Is that the right use of my time? When I have new hire classes, should I be the one in there for two weeks, three weeks with them, coaching them about the industry, the product, all that kind of thing? Or do we need a sales trainer? I'm the best recruiter for my, my sales org, bar none. Can I do yeah. that when I have 200 people and I have all these other responsibilities? So you're finding ways to delegate certain things off to along the way. At the beginning, you can't delegate as much, of course, but as you scale and grow, you have to learn to let go of some things. That's what I'm talking about. Let me ask a question about that because for new VP of sales and even for an old dog like me, here's a challenge I've always had and tell me how you manage this. I always thought, right, and I'm talking about a little, I'm arrogance here, that I was the best salesperson in the company. I could do all the process stuff and recruiting, but I, I really thought I was the best salesperson. So when I got on a team call with my director or my AE in a smaller company, I always had to fight that I want to take over. I want to make sure we don't yep. make any mistakes on that sales call. I mean, what's yeah. your advice and wisdom here to say, man, you can't take over sales calls just because you've been invited in? Well, because you can't scale that. You can't scale yourself. <laughs> Look, of course, you're the best salesperson in there. And when there's two reps, like three reps, five reps, shit, maybe even 10 reps, you could still maybe get away with like, you know what? Give me the goddamn phone. Let me just close this thing. Like we can't lose this deal. I can't lose this revenue, right? But you can't scale yourself and that will not work. So you have to not do that. You have to allow your people and you to struggle and to fail and coach them through that. That's the only way to do it. And this is a predicament that, Everybody has been in. You've been in it. You just said, I fell prey to this, you know, 16 years ago. I, I get it. But I, I learned that doesn't work. And I have to maintain this kind of long-term thinking and view where the long-term results mean more to me than the immediacy of what's happening right now. Is there an exception to the rule? Of course, there's an exception to the rule. You know, if I got a $100 million deal on the table, okay, Ray. You and I are dealing with this, okay? But if it's a regular, you know, old logo, right? That's just one of the many. Resist the urge to jump in and take over. And you have to resist that all over the place with reports, with research, with recruiting, with, you know, pipeline meetings. When you have a bunch of managers underneath you and you're the, the VP, 
do you think that the managers do a good a job doing their one-on-ones as you do with the one-on-one? Of course not. What are you going to yeah. do? Step in and interrupt their one-on-one and do it for them? No. You know, you, you, you get some feedback, you observe them once or twice, you coach them along the way and you allow them to go do it. That to me is delegation. And the only way to make something grow and scale, the only way to scale yourself is to create many, many versions of you. So Scott, I think there's even another dynamic in play with that. I certainly get the whole scale side and you want to replicate yourself. But I think there's another point. And I've seen this so many times where a C-level individual comes onto a call, they take control of it, they totally disengage or at least uh, put that sales rep completely off balance because of where it's going. And, And you know what? Maybe that senior executive is better in selling if they had all the information and the data and the perspective, but as good as, you know, metrics that someone like Ray can pull together and data that can come together, you as the senior executive have a sliver of information to really make that determination. And when you're on a deal and you're on a call and you're bringing all these things based on, you know, this limited information you have, that's where I think executives need to really understand to your point. If you've hired the right people, if you built the right team and you're coaching them in the right way, you know, you're there to help and that's it. You're not there to drive the entire call and you're not there to make major cuts or, or pivots without yeah. kind of feeling out that rep to see what that rep is feeling and thinking at that same time. Yeah. I, I hear all the time from VPs who say to me, how do I get my CEO out of our sales process? Yeah. And I used to hear from reps all the time. How do I get my VP out of my sales process? Because, you know, you, you parachute in there like you're a hero and you muck the thing up and you screw it up sometimes. Or yeah. you just absolutely kill that person's confidence, you know, because they're like, well, Ray doesn't trust me to do this thing on my own. I'm like, now I'm selling scared. And now I don't know that my boss, you know, has my back, he doesn't trust me. And that can kill the org faster than losing a deal sometimes. That trust component, you know, that has to be there. And look, my job is not to just do everything for people. My job is to make myself irrelevant. That's my job. My job is to help you get so good at what you do along the way and teach you about what I do that if I get in a, you know, car crash today and don't make it, you could step in tomorrow and do my job for me. Right. And I think we need more of more people in leadership who kind of think and act that way, you know, Scott, you said something in the book and I do want to pivot a little bit, but you just stimulated this thought. One of your top jobs as a VP of sales is to remove roadblocks and obstacles for your team. Yeah. Whether it's a product obstacle, a pricing obstacle, but I don't think a lot of first time for early stage VPs of sales understand it's not being the best salesperson. It's enabling and allowing your team to become the best salespeople. So I love yes. that advice. But- yes. It's changing the mindset from a quarterback to an offensive lineman for an NFL kind of analogy. The VP of sales is actually the center in the offensive line. If you know anything about football, the center is like the captain of the offensive line and oftentimes has one of the highest IQs in the whole team. They have to know where everybody is at all times, communicate well, and you're a blocker, right? Your top salesperson is the quarterback or the wide receiver or the running back. They're the superstars. They're the ones that are going to go run around, score touchdowns, make fancy moves and plays, right? You got to go into this offensive line kind of mode. My job is to ask you questions and say, hey, Ray, hey, Mark, what's holding you back? You know, if you had a magic wand, like, what do you need? 
what could you use from a marketing perspective? What could CS be doing, you know, that would help you close more deals? What, would, what do we need from the product? And now my job is to take that information, go behind the scenes and wage these little battles and conversations, right? And say, hey, I need this. I need this. I need this over here. This is why, right? And so you, I don't just go to them and say, hey, my number one sales guy said we need this thing. I go to them and say, hey, my number one sales guy said we need this thing. I've heard this five other times. It's attached to these five accounts. These five accounts are worth X amount in revenue to us, right? How much would it cost for you to build this? How much time would it take to get this thing done? Okay, look at that's going to be a big positive ROI. It's going to help us net other logos that we haven't even approached yet with this conversation. You're just building use cases. You do those things consistently, whatever those blockers are, whatever the things that are in the way, and your sales team will run through a brick fucking wall for you. And that's what you want as a sales leader. Totally agree. And in fact, one of the things I did every time I was brought in as a VP of sales, Scott, was I would interview, have a discussion with every frontline salesperson in sales management. And one of the questions that I'd always ask is, what's the number one thing that's blocking you? And if I could, within that first month or so, go eliminate that block, no matter what it was, it was amazing, the loyalty and commitment because yes. we just made their job easier. And it wasn't what I wanted, it's what they told us was needed. Yeah. Absolutely. So yeah. here's yeah. my pivot though, Scott. And this is something, it's always been, I don't know if it's a blind spot of mine, but something I'm not great at. And it's chapter eight of your book, Relationships. And that is the importance and power of building relationships with every constituent within the company, the head of marketing, the head of product, the head of customer success, and of course, the CEO and CFO. So can you provide some advice to our listening audience? When you first join a company, how do you start building those relationships with your peers? I mean, spending time, you know, and getting to know them and what their role is like you know, the challenges that they have, the goals that they have, and being a good listener as they speak about all these things. Coming in humble instead of coming in hot. Coming in humble and just saying, hey, I want to I learn from you. Like, what's it like to be here? You know, what's our environment like that we're playing in? What are the challenges that you have? And then one of the things that I always say is, what can sales do to make your life easier? You'd be shocked how many times, you know, the response is, wow, I, nobody's ever, nobody ever asked me that before, right? The head of customer success, you show up, you say to the head of customer success, like, what could I do to make your life easier, your job easier? They're going to be like, well, your sales team could stop over-promising. You could stop selling uh, three-month contracts and sell 12-month contracts. You could, you know, better represent this. You know, our messaging is kind of in the gray area here. People have wrong expectations. Okay, those are things within my control. I go to head of finance say, hey, what could I do? Head of finance is like, well, you can uh, ramp people faster. You can drop the uh, customer acquisition costs. You can figure out which kind of tools we've spent money on that we're not using and get rid of some of those things. You just repeat those conversations throughout all the different departments and you build on and work on those relationships. And you don't ask for shit for quite a while. You don't ask for anything. You just serve all of them, right? So if I come in, I show up and I'm like, I don't know anything about this place. I need to learn from Mark, I need to learn from Ray, I need to learn from Sarah, I need to learn from Kelly, I need to learn from Richard. And you end every conversation with, what can sales and I do to make your job easier? Now there's your marching orders from those people, right? And now remember, I'm doing that with my sales reps and my sales managers as well. What can I do to make your job easier? Now, if I could start executing on all these things, what am I doing? I'm building a loyal following. 
I'm building internal brand equity, right? I'm getting things done. The atmosphere inside the company, hopefully, you know, becomes a little more collaborative, a little more trusting. And as those things start to get done, the reputation becomes this guy, Scott, like getting some shit done. I can't believe it. I can't believe pull that off kind of thing. So when I do need something hmm. down the road, when I'm like, listen, I got 50 accounts locked by this particular feature that's been in the queue for 18 months. What do we need to do to get this thing to go high? I've got a little bit of, you know, I got a little equity to play with, right? So that's how I kind of get it started. And, and I try to maintain that dialogue and that type of, you know, interaction with folks as best I can. And, and by the way, I don't want you to think that I showed up in this role and like, I knew that on day one. I was the typical sales manager, sales leader, asshole who was like, all that matters <laughs> is me closing deals and hitting my number. That's it. And sales makes a mess and everybody else cleans it up. That was one of my old quotes from like 20 years ago. Scout's honor, not the right philosophy, you know, very selfish, very short term, not ideal, right? Yeah, I learned, I learned and I, and I evolved and I got better at all these things. And uh, I think my hope is that, you know, by talking about it more, maybe people who are just starting in that role learn a little faster and don't screw it up the way I did in the very beginning. So Scott, you've actually opened up for me, uh, you know, you've really defined it in a way that I really connect with because, you know, you mentioned early on about hiring the right people and bringing the right people on board. And what you just defined is exactly why you need the right people when you bring them on board. Because to have someone, you know, for example, I mentioned the book Selling the Cloud and the, the book I almost wrote and maybe will write in the future is intrinsic selling. And really in a short term or a short version, it's about hiring really and becoming the person who sells from your intrinsic capabilities and sells from a position of, you know, having the right character, having the right mindset looking to serve, not looking only to win. All of those things are attributes that not a lot of sales reps in our space have today. So I, and I'm sure you do this every hire, every promotion, I'm sure you're taking this all to, into an account. And maybe this is another time for us to get together on another podcast because you're hitting on these, the reasons you are successful as you've been in your career, the reason your coaching is as valuable as it is because you take that type of intrinsic approach. And, you know, again, it's not about teaching somebody how to do something they don't want to do. You can't teach somebody to listen who doesn't want to hear things from other people. You just can't. So it's finding the right attributes in your sales team and your sales ops group and building that kind of culture that takes companies to, for example, like close friend of mine, Greg Holmes, and what he developed at Zoom. You know, Greg built the business he built at Zoom, not because he was the most disciplined, educated sales leader on the planet. He built it because he's an incredible person He's an incredible man. And because of those things, and because he didn't stunt all that in himself, he didn't suppress it all because he had to be a, a hard-ass CRO, because he didn't do that is one of the big reasons why Zoom is the size company with the market cap that it has today. I think that's a really good example of, you know, hopefully how the role in the profession is evolving, you know, and now we can stand up Greg and Zoom as an example. And we can stand up this other place and that other place as this kind of, look at, you can actually lead this way. 
you can yeah. act this way, right? It's not 1975, 85 anymore, right? And so those are good examples to shout out and highlight so people hear about them. And so the, the leaders of today and the leaders of tomorrow can do things a little better, you know, than their predecessors. Well, unfortunately, Scott and Mark, we're coming to the end of this episode of Selling the Cloud. And Scott, I'm going to give you an opportunity to answer a question that I've never asked before, but I think it's going to be interesting for you. So I was, after I read your book, I was thinking about going on Amazon and writing a review of your book, right? To help other potential readers. Yeah. So if you were going to write the review for your book to entice either future or existing VPs of sales to read it, what would your review of the book be? Oh, wow. You know, I, I think it would be very close to hopefully what my goal was, was to provide a, a no fluff kind of look at here's what you need to do to get the role. Here's what you need to do to be good at it. Here's what you need to do to kind of thrive. If you're somebody who's hiring for that particular role, here's the things to think about. And it's a good jumping off place. It's a framework. It's a good guideline for how to be successful in the role. If you really wanted to like go into detail, I mean, the, the book could be a thousand pages long, but I don't have time for all that. And, and neither does the reader, in my opinion. So if you want to kind of punch in, absorb a framework, make sure you're on the right track, have something to reference and refer to later on. I think that, and I hope that people agree that it, it serves that particular purpose and function. I tell you, I like the way you explained that, Scott. I kind of walked away saying, this is a guidebook. I know you went you on a, a hike yesterday that was multiple hours up to 10,400 and I think 57 feet. And it's nice to have that map and that guidebook to say, hey, be careful of this level. Maybe you should get water every 20 minutes, et cetera. I found this book to be an incredible guidebook and map to not only a first-time VP of sales, but to a multiple time to think of the multivariate things that go into being a great VP of sales. So thank you for writing this for the profession and for the industry. Oh, thanks so much, Ray. And does that mean I get a review from you now? Did you just commit on air publicly to leaving me a review, Ray? Well, I cheated because I'm going to take what you said. I'm going to write it down and paste it on <laughs> Amazon. <laughs> that counts. As long as it didn't come from me directly. Okay, that counts. Hey, isn't that delegating? That, you kind of delegated the work. Look at that. Right? See, an old dog yeah, can learn right, right. See? See, Mark, the role is all about delegating. It's not a bad It's all work. about delegating. Ray just delegated his yeah. review to you, and you did a great job on it. And look, and we're both happy about it. We're both walking away saying that was a great podcast. And for our listening audience, if you thought this was a great podcast and you want to hear more content and more guests like Scott Lee's, it would mean the world to us if you'd go ahead and follow us on your favorite podcast app, go ahead and leave a recommendation and a, a ranking and even how we can become even better for you and for our target audience of revenue leaders across the industry. Scott, thank you so much for being a guest. Mark, as always, thank you for being a co-host. Thank you. Thanks, gentlemen. Thank you both.